Thank you for joining the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast with your host, Clayton Craddock. Steve Singer grew up in a suburb of St. Louis. He started playing drums at eight years old and later became the drummer in the U-City High School Jazz Band. Musicians like Buddy Rich, Max Roach, Grady Tate, Mel Lewis, Elvin Jones, and Tony Williams influenced Steve's drumming. He moved to New York City and started subbing on Broadway shows. He learned about an opening for a tour of Greece, the hit musical at the time, and landed the gig. Since that time, he's played in over 20 Broadway shows and their tours. Ladies and gentlemen, Steve Singer. Welcome to Broadway Drumming 101. My name is Clayton Craddock, and today my guest is Steve Singer from St. Louis, Missouri. That's right. <laughs> what brings you to New York from St. Louis? Uh, I drove. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, well, I had a lot of friends in college that were from New York, and I uh, went to this art school, Webster College, which is a small art school in Webster Grove, which is a suburb of St. Louis. And uh, a lot of actors and musicians, and uh, a lot of them were from New York. And so I went to New York a lot and uh, to visit, because these are my friends, basically my college friends, and uh, I liked it. I mean, at the time I was playing drums, still, and I had been playing drums for quite a while, and I was, I had become aware of studio drummers and i say well that would be a great thing to do because uh i mean i played in a jazz band in, in st louis and i played in a couple rock bands and but there was really no serious work that could make any money that could really lead to anything except uh you know parties and weddings and i didn't i'd done a little bit of that but i knew i didn't want to do that so i had, and i was studying with a guy with the st louis symphony the, the uh, mallet percussionist john Cassica with the St. Louis Symphony, who actually used to room with Ben Herman. You know Ben Herman? I don't. He's a percussionist, and he's just still around now here. So he liked my playing, and he we really just worked on technique, and uh, he was a very serious guy, a very nice guy, but very, very, like, like a fanatic about music. He said he wasn't, wasn't sure if he wanted to be a, a percussionist or a professional bowler, because he was, like, so in love with both of those things. But you would know this is the kind of guy, whatever he wanted to do, he would do it to kill it. I mean, he was just like, you know, a, you know, two mallets in his hand. But so he would just, we, I'd play drums, and he would teach me drums, and sometimes he would just play kungas, and he would just try to throw me off with odd, odd uh, meters. And he liked my playing, and uh, he said it was strong, and he liked how definitely I played. And he said, you would love New York, and I think you would do well there. I said, well, thanks, that's great. And then... Uh, I was a photo major. I was a media major and with a concentration in, uh, in photography at this, at the same college. So I was taking private lessons from John Cassico as a, as a, as a study, uh, independent study, but I was uh, studying photography because I'd been, I'd been doing that since I was like in junior high school as well. Um, and, uh, the guy who was the head of the media and photography department, he got me, the first college intern at the International Center of Photography in New York. So 
I just lucked out. I mean, I was just very, a lot, lot, of, lot of things luckily just happened in the right way. So I got this, this internship to be an intern at the International Center of Photography. I did that my last year of college. And it was such a liberal arts school, you know, you could write it up. I mean, they sent me and uh, I had to find an apartment and all that. And I, had, I lived with some friends of mine for a while. But uh, I wrote that up as my, that the first semester. The second semester, I started studying uh, with another drum teacher. I'd watched and I looked up in the Village Voice. A guy drum lessons, Broadway drummer lessons. And he, uh, he was great. And he was doing the show Annie at the time, the original Annie. What uh, year was on that? Broadway. When? Mm -hmm. This was like 70. I got to New York in 76. And um, I didn't really start doing anything until 77. Like I said, I finished my last year. I, did, I finished my last year of college in New York with these two independent studies. And he was the drummer in Annie. And so he played and he checked me. He said, you know, he, he checked me with a metronome and he would play for some tunes and he would check my reading. And I had, uh, I had learned to read and play in the school orchestra in, uh, in middle school or junior high, we, we call it in the, in the Midwest. Um, I mean, I was playing, I played snare drum. And there was one, there were like two drummers. We were like the two good drummers in the show, in the, in the school. And the good drum, the, the guy who was ahead of me, I was number two. He played bass drum and I played cymbals, you know, <laughs> and it was like nothing. But we played snare drum and stuff like that. But we learned how to read music in, uh, in um, junior high and high school. We went on and there was, we, there was a, a jazz band in high school too. And I, I was the drummer in that too. What was the first thing that made you say, you know what? I like to play drums. I have two older brothers. So when I was about six, I guess, so my brothers were 12 and they were like insane with the, you know, with the temptations, seriously, and, and all of Motown. And then like later on, maybe when I was seven, eight or something, I actually went to a Motown review. They, they took me and it's like, people were going in, they were going crazy. They were dancing all over the, over the place. I'm going like, this is unbelievable. And so then the Beatles came out and that was just, you know, we all went nuts for that. And I was just watching, I would just always watch the drummer. And my dad always knew. And I was, and I had started to play drums in school, you know, in the orchestra and learned to read and stuff. And so of course then I started badgering my dad to get me a drum, which of course he didn't, you know, want to do, but he eventually gave in and get, got me this little Kent, Kent drum set, um, blue sparkle. That sort of started me on. And then uh, my dad knew how much I liked it. Like whenever Buddy Rich would be on Johnny Carson, he would either wake me up or let me stay up. And he would say, Steve, Buddy Rich. So he sort of was interested in that. So he liked that. I liked that. And he didn't know him. Of course, he didn't think I'd get anywhere with it. You know, I was playing a couple little, I played in a couple little bands. I was like uh, 13. I was playing in bands. I had to get permission to leave my grammar school to do it. Uh, a dance at the junior high school, at the middle school. Then, of course, I badgered my dad to get me a Ludwig set, set because that's what Ringo had. I, I had any, and he bought me one. I got a red sparkle, just a four-piece, 22-inch uh, bass drum, and a, uh, I think a 12 and a 14-inch floor tom, red sparkle. But they had the Ludwig, the original Ludwig logo on the front, and man, I thought I was really, <laughs> I was really happening then. You still have that drum set? No. Believe me, I wish I would. You look at look at them on eBay now, and they're very, uh, they're <laughs> That's very true. 
did you mm-hmm. eventually form an original group or were you just playing in cover bands around town? Like what was your, the scene? We like? had a band, pretty much one band. And yeah, we just played, you know, Beatles songs and Stone songs and all that stuff. Uh, the monkeys we played stuff like, you know, that stuff. Did you see yourself being a rock star, like the Beatles or the Stones, or did you just want to play any kind of music? And, and was it more of a hobby or was it something that you were passionate about? And you said, I want to be a professional musician. Well, you know, at 13, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't really recall thinking that, but I know I really liked it. I mean, of course I wanted to be, do what everybody, you know, we all wanted to be the Beatles then, you know, because it was such a positive thing that they did. They sang songs about love and, and happiness and sunshine and stuff. And it was just so great. And it was such beautiful music and it was just so unique. And people said, well, gee, maybe, I mean, I'm sure deep down, I didn't think, well, maybe that, I could do that too. You know? but I don't think that was my main thing. I just loved to play so what was your focus in high school? Was it more academic or was it revolving around music? And did you see yourself going into music school or did you have another path or you just, what was your, did you have no, goals? I back really then? wanted to go into music school and I was taking pictures by then too, like in junior high, one of the other drummers, there were actually, I'm sorry, there were three or four drummers. One of the other guys in high school, he had all these cameras and he, I said, that's cool. I mean, how, how does that work? I mean, these are old, like Minolta, you know, uh, single lens reflex film cameras, you know, regular cameras back then. And he sort of taught me about that stuff. And I started getting into that. So you had a, you had dual interests, drumming and photography, and you still do to this day. Yeah. I always have. Like I always have. I was the, I want, I was shooting for the junior high school paper. And for the high school paper, I was the photo editor. And you said you went to school for photography and for music. I can't. I can't remember exactly what you said. In college, I went to. I was. I was a photo major. Ah, okay. But I. But I. It was a media major with a concentration of in photography. That's the way they would. That's the way it was. That's what it was called. But I took the private lessons with John Cassica of the Saint Louis Symphony, which is a great symphony. But uh, like I said, and then after that semester, I, I started studying with uh, Michael Epstein, the guy at Annie, and uh, I started to concentrate more on playing. Mike Epstein. Yeah. That is one of the guys that was part of the Broadway, Drummer, Broadway Drummers Roundtable in 1981 in August in Modern Drummer. There was Mike Epstein, yeah. Dorian... McGee, McGee John, right. John Redsecker and Paul uh-huh. Pizzuti. And that's the reason why I started this podcast. I was like, there's nobody doing that right now. Mm-hmm. So why don't I do it? Oh, I never and, saw them. Uh-huh. And I'm glad I got a chance to speak with Paul Pizzuti. Great guy to talk to. And I'm, I'm working on getting John Redsecker on, but it's interesting. You mentioned, uh, what's his name again? Mike Epstein, Mike Epstein. Yeah. So he, he was at Annie. And yeah, he played Annie for like a long time. It was went on for five, six years. Now, how, did you, how did you meet him, and how did you get? Well, like I said, he he had an ad in the Village Voice, giving lessons. Because okay. I didn't know I didn't know anybody. I mean, I knew my I had friends in New York, but I didn't know anybody in music. So I figure, well, I'll take some lessons, you know, thinking maybe that would lead to something, and it did. So I took lessons with him. He knew it. He knew I could read. He worked on my reading. He worked on my uh, lining up with a click, which I had never really done. I mean, my time was pretty good, you know, 
but this I'm 21 at this point, you know, 21, 22. You know, I meant that I forgot to mention. I also, after studying with uh, Michael Epstein, I started studying with Sonny Igo, and that was some uh, more serious study. Not that Michael's wasn't. Michael was great, but Sonny made me start at the beginning. <laughs> I mean, he had two drum sets and two chairs with pads. And that was a great thing. And he gave me all these great warm-ups that I still do to this day. I just wanted to sort of get, go into that because that was a real, some real serious New York drum teaching. You know, he was had this place with Harry Adler, I think. Henry Adler, for years, people say I didn't know him, but he was on 46th Street, uh, just a couple blocks from, you know, Manny's. And he was, played for the Carol Burnett Show. He used to sub for Ed, the guy on the Ed Sullivan Show. That was something I wanted to mention, be sure and mention that he was a great, uh, he was a great teacher and he had so much experience. We worked on, we worked on time and we worked on technique and he told me though, never have your thumb up on the ride symbol. He always, always do this this way. He, and then I see Peter Erskine and I saw something on Peter Erskine. He says, no, no, you, you don't need to do this way, your thumb up. And that is more comfortable. So when you were taking lessons with Mike Epstein, Mm -hmm. Did he teach you anything about playing shows? Well, he actually uh, got me my first job. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't yet. But he said. I, he said uh, they're looking for a drummer to replace the drummer they have on the road with Greece. And Greece was still Greece was there a long time, like twelve, fifteen years or something like that. And uh, I'm thinking they they need someone to to replace somebody playing Greece, because I think that was a very simple thing. But they said, yeah, they said, uh, I said, you think I could do that? Because I didn't have any idea. I mean, because I didn't grow up, like we didn't grow up at my house listening to Broadway show records and things like that. I mean, I never knew that stuff. I mean, I knew the stuff that were movies, West Side Story, maybe, you know, and the funny thing happened on the way to the forum. I know we're based on Broadway things, but we never put those records on at home. Well, we never really listened to that stuff. I knew nothing about that. I said, do you think I could do it? He said, oh, yeah. He said, of course you could do it. Yeah, it's, it, it, it'd be a breeze for you. I said, okay. So he gave my name to the guy who's the drummer at Greece. And uh, I met with him. And I had to meet with him in, like in the morning and play for him to see how I could play. And he showed me some of the music. And uh, he said, uh, yeah, I think you'll be fine. And I had to uh, play the opening number of Greece in a pit where we were half out of the water. You know what I mean? They could still see us. They could see us. Like the people are like right there. You know what I mean? So, and it was just, that's all it was. The first thing, but still there's a dialogue and the guy goes, you know, one, two, he told me what I, what I had to do and he gave me the music and I'm sitting next to him here. He's sitting next to me and I'm getting ready and the lights go down. And I am just sweating. I've never done this before in my life. And I have to play this on, a, you know, in front of the audience. So I had to play the first number as my audition for the conductor to so see if I'd be okay to go out. Right, right. So, so you, just did, you just did one song or did you do the whole show? Yeah, that was enough. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm sitting there and the guy's sitting there because I said, man, I'm really nervous. He goes, you see, he says, you don't look it. And I guess I was good at hiding it back then, but I said, oh no. So, you know, he goes, 
It's a speech at the Rydell High School. It's at the prom or the graduation. And they say, and all the, well, I don't forget what the, what the line was. And all the people that we've loved before. And he goes, one, two, three, four. And it's, and they go and they all start dancing. It's so suddenly it's the it's the prom. And I have to play this, you know, this boom chicam put up dump put up put up put up up and it's like and I survived it and then uh then I flew to uh, Canada. I flew to Hamilton, Ontario. The conductor and the band met me at the airport and I had shipped my drums there, I guess. I don't remember about that how that happened. And suddenly I'm on tour with Greece. <laughs> I'm 22. Uh, that's great. It was great. It was a, it was a, it was a riot. They were all nice. They were all funny people. And it, it was fun and I, it was a simple it was really easy. And there's a there's a hand jive thing, you know, dump 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 and it, it even had a click at the time too, which I had never experienced. Uh it was great. I did that for, uh, I don't know, a long time. It was a great time. And then I, having subbed it, I, I mean, having done the tour, I could sub on Broadway. So that was how I got started. I started subbing on shows. And then I met other people. And uh, what shows were you subbing on back in the late 70s on Broadway? Well, I started with Greece, And then I'm, I'm still studying with Michael Epstein. He says, do you want to sub for me? I said, again, do you think that's something I can handle? Because I have nothing and I have no guidelines to go by. He says, sure. It's really easy. It's nothing. I mean, shows were easier back then, too. They were really very basic and simple. And it wasn't a whole lot of intricate things and ins and outs. So he said, sure. So this would be the first thing that I had done. Drum set in an orchestra. I had never, I mean... With strings, there was like one one violin, I think, maybe a cello, Annie. But it was twenties music, and um, I found I liked any any stuff that had a sort of a a certain era feel of of excitement. You know, like if it was the fifties with Greece, or it was Annie in the twenties and thirties. If there was some sort of a groove or play like charleston music or something like that that's what i could under that's what i could understand i mean there were some shows that i looked at i couldn't i said i don't get this at all and i would i would pass because i knew i wouldn't probably wouldn't do very well but i was doing that so i'm something at greece i was something at annie and uh at one point i was subbing three or four shows at once you know not soon after uh michael keller i used to sub for michael keller a lot and because he's my neighbor and when I first moved to New York, I said, well, what do I do about playing drums in the apartment? Because that's not going to that's not that's going to be an issue. He says, well, most guys have. A, so I asked Epstein. Epstein really helped me understand New York and how drums work in New York. You know, he said, well, most guys get a studio with other people and they keep their stuff there where you can practice and, uh, you know, store your equipment. And it's in Midtown. So it's sort of like central to most things, the gig. So I did that. So the first thing I did was uh, I was with uh, with my Michael Keller, John Retzeker, uh Jim Saparito, and Pizzuti, I believe, and maybe one and uh, another percussionist who has long since moved away. Um, I can't think of his name right now. It was it's right on Fiftieth and Seventh. There used to be a uh, 
right around the corner from that little deli now, up the stairs, there was a pizza place there. And they had, they had, they had that really nice pizza that had that sort of corn crust. And so we were right above that. And a lot of trombonists and uh, horn guys, famous horn guys, had like little studios. They could go practice and go just maybe take a nap in between gigs and stuff. But did that for a long time and got to meet Pizzuti and Red Sicker and, uh, and Keller. So then I started something for Keller. Uh, at uh, They're playing our song, which was uh, Lucy Arnaz and uh, Robert Klein. And that was a real easy sort of a sort of a mock pop thing, you know? I mean, that kind of, things that were like pop and rock and in that era, simple music, I could do that stuff. I mean, I wasn't a classical guy by any means, but that's the way things were there. They were easy. And, uh, and then after they're playing our song, I started subbing on Keller, for Keller on uh, The Goodbye Girl, same kind of thing. And, uh, you know, just like that, I've done it. So then I would do the tours of things. I did... I didn't tour with Annie. Then I did a tour with They're Playing Our Song with Lucy Arnaz and her husband, uh, Lawrence Luckenbill. And uh, we got along really well with a lot of rehearsals. And she was always, you know, we were always cracking jokes and stuff. And so I could, I was cracking jokes, of course, uh, with her. And she liked that. And we got to be really very good friends. I did a tour with Lucy Arnaz and I started doing her cabaret act around New York. And, uh, that's what I mostly did. I didn't know really what else to do. And I just kept falling into these things, which, you know, were really nice. And I would do tours and then I would sub on that show on Broadway. And uh, trying to think what else. Um, so I had something for John Redsecker too. He did the show Barnum about, uh, you know, obviously Barnum. And that was a, I, I subbed on that. And that was fun too. That was just like, um, bump, um, bump, bump. But it was Cy Coleman though. It was very well written stuff, but it was very, again, very simple, like circusy music. And there was some ballads and some, some, some uh, triplets, some, uh, you know, some three. And uh, I did very well with that. They liked me there. And then I did that first national tour and I had never done a first national tour. So then that was a much better tour than the Greece tour. This was a big deal. We went to LA, we went to all these big cities. It was a big deal. It was good, but then uh, the, the the principals didn't really uh, they didn't do well ticket wise, so they they shut it down, and then they started it back up again with the original leads, which were Jim Dale and Glenn Close, and that did really well. Actually, that's when we went to the bigger cities to L.A. We played the uh, the Pantages in L.A. and uh, I did a small tour, like I said, with playing our song. It's, it's all a big blur, but I would do things where I, I would sub it on Broadway and I would do maybe two other tours of it, you know, it would like, or vice versa. I would do a tour and then I would be start, start subbing. Tell me about the differences between the way things are now on Broadway with the avioms and, and, you know, headphones and, and listening to, and being able to dial in so many different things and, and back then were there spot uh monitors or was there no monitors at all and you just had to listen to everybody i think there were monitors you know those little monitors and they put them on a on a mic stand and that was it you could just change the volume and that stuff but like but more specifically just to sub on people like like i'd be with in the studio with keller and red i say you need any subs and it was just very casual 
They said, sure, why don't you come down and check it out? You know, it wasn't like I had to be put on a list and had to be cleared. You know, it was, it was more informal. And your friends would say, you know, would ask to come down and check out your show. And they'd say, sure. And then I thought it was something I could do. Then I would, you know, start learning it. And then, you know, you tape it. You go back a million times to hear every different version that the guy does to see what is to be kept and what is not to be kept. You know, what was a, you know, what was something he was just doing that night. And, uh, you know, and then you go in for that first one. But it was just, I mean, even it was still terrifying, you know, for all the little things that there always are. It's simple, and even as a simple music, the music was. But, uh, you know, you just uh, got to get yourself through it. Back in the 70s, I remember how things used to be in New York City and Times Square and the, and the danger. Were you doing any shows at all during the blackout of 1977? Yeah, in fact, it was Greece. The lights went out, and they all just sat on the lip of the stage, and the piano player played, and the drums played, and they all held candles at the end, and they just sang a bunch of, they sang the rest of the songs from the show. I mean, because they wanted to give the audience their money's worth. I'd forgotten that. Thank you for filming <laughs> out of my head. How long did you uh, do tours before you decided to stay in New York and sub around on different shows here. A lot. I did a lot of touring. I did a lot of touring, but I liked it. And like, I felt really green and new to all this. So I figured this is what this is happening for me. I did anything goes at Lincoln center and I was subbing for John Redsicker on there. And that one, I did that a bunch of times too. And that worked out really well. And red press was the contractor. He knew me and he knew I was subbing and subbing successfully over there. I did. They had a um, a great tour with Leslie Uggams of Anything Goes, and then I was going to be hired for another Greece tour by John Monaco, who was a, an older. He just recently passed away. He was a good guy. He uh, he was a contractor as well. Did a lot of things. He uh, he asked me if I wanted to do Greece on the road, another tour of Greece. I said sure, I'd love to. And I knew the knew the uh, conductor, and uh, I said great. And then later he calls me back and says, well, the conductor has asked for somebody else. I said, oh, okay. I thought you were giving, you know, you were giving this to me. He said, well, what can we do? You know? So I had the sense to just say, okay, well, that's, you know, you know, I didn't give him, give him a hard time. I needed to keep my, to keep, keep quiet. Then I heard that John Monaco was going to uh, contract the, the first national tour of Chicago. So this was 1996. This was much, you know, we're moving ahead now. But I said, well, John, you know, that thing about Greece, and I didn't get the Greece thing. I, I hear you're doing Chicago. I'd really love to do that because I'd seen the show and I liked it. He said, you got it. And he tried to make it up to me. It was very sweet. And that was it. And uh, that I did for a long time. I, it was off and on because it would, it would take breaks. But I did that all, over a period of seven years. But then I would sub on, on Broadway for Ronnie. So basically I've been doing this for 25 years now and he's been doing it for maybe 26 years, but that's what I did. I subbed and I did the tours and that's how, that's how I sort of became known. You've done so many musicals since the mid seventies. If you were to give some one piece of advice to someone about playing drums on Broadway, what's that one piece of advice that you'd give? Be professional, be uh, cooperative and flexible with people, especially the conductor. Make sure that you're good for this gig. 
this specific gig. This is something you would be good at. And if not, don't do it. There were a couple of things I've done. I looked at it and I just, I just didn't see how I could do it. I couldn't, it was just too, it wasn't musical to me. I mean, it was, but it was just a lot of odd meters and things that didn't make any sense. I think I'll never be able to do this correctly. So I passed, I passed on quite a few things. Out of all the musicals that you've played, is there a favorite of yours? Well, I would say, uh, I mean, Greece for the first one and how corny and silly it was. But Dreamgirls, for sure, because I always wanted to play R&B, play, you know, play some funk music. And and I got a chance to do that with a 26-piece orchestra with, you know, with Red Press within the band, Dave Gale, uh, you know, these guys who are like legendary, Bruce Bambasudo, you know, and Max, uh, Maxine Roach was one of the one of the violinists, Max's daughter. When you were subbing at different places, you get notes as a drummer or any other musician that plays in a show. When somebody gave you notes for the first time, what did you do and how did you take it? And, and how do you approach getting notes when you're subbing? I mean, by now I know a lot more than I did then, clearly. And I think I was just so happy to be doing this kind of thing. I would say, sure, okay. I learned a lot from b- being at rehearsals in uh, Chicago. When I did Chicago on the road, they would always have me at rehearsals. When the director would come into town, if we were on the, on the road, He'd always have a piano player and he'd have me and, and drums and watching him and listening to him. And he would say stuff like that. Like, you know, always take the, 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 the last note that you got and keep that until someone tells you different. You just be, you just have to be as pleasant as you can be. And, and you have to take every note. What advice would you give to someone that's interested in coming to New York city to play Broadway shows? Study with someone reparable or someone that is recommended to you, or if you went to any kind of music school, do that and uh, try to contact the the, uh, the drummers. I mean, I'm sure you know, you got barrage with calls for, for subbing. I mean, what else can you do? I know that you work at the union. Would you recommend somebody joining the union and getting the resources there to try to reach out to people? Absolutely. I think the union directory book is one of the most valuable things you could have in your, in your house. When I was studying in, uh, in St. Louis with uh, John Cassica with the St. Louis Symphony, he would say, uh, join the union as soon as you can. And I think I was already in at that point. Uh, I think I joined at 16. Or some other teacher told me, join the union and only do jun- union work. You'll be better off and you'll have more money at the end. So... Absolutely. I think the union is the best thing you, you can do. You get a, you get a book of all the famous jazz musicians you've ever heard of and you can know what you can, and you can find out where they live. And, uh, and they're, they're in there with you. And uh, there's plenty of resources for help at the union to get work, to get contracts, to get to help. The main thing is for the, the union will help you. If there's any problems, you're not getting paid if you're on a union contract you're not getting paid or your money was wrong. But yeah, I was always told as a kid, uh, uh, by my teachers always joined me. I was first introduced to your photography when you were taking photos of people that ain't too proud. When we were in rehearsal rehearsals, I was right. like, wow, this guy can take really cool photos. I was like, wow, this guy's great. So the whole photography thing, you're still doing that. You have a website called Steve Singer why, yes, I do. And I do that, too, as a little side thing. 
I'll do uh, headshots and uh, photos for people. Uh, I did Joe Passaro, I did John Miller, Frankie Centeno, uh, Dave Noland. A lot of the guys that I've met on those shoots, I ended up doing shots for them. Um, and I do love a lot of my actor friends and I do headshots for them. It's fun. And I, uh, I did a couple of things where that I have, I had, I've had a few things published. Yeah. I had a couple of things in the times published. I have a, con a picture of Steve Gadd that was on a cover of a magazine in Japan. That was cool. I got to meet Steve Gadd with this, uh, Japanese, um, marimba player. I met her and she said, well, I told her I was a big fan of Steve Gadd's and I was a photographer as well. She said, well, could you take some pictures of our rehearsal? And, uh, and it was with Eddie Gomez too. And uh, I said, sure, I'd love to do that if I could meet Steve Gadd. She said, sure. And on a break, I sat and talked to Steve and Eddie for like 20 minutes or so great. And I just, since then I gave all those pictures to Steve Gadd's you know, publicity people as something to give back to him for all he's given to us, you know? You have Steve Singer Photography. You're subbing a lot at Chicago. Been there for yeah, a long yeah. time. Do you have any other projects that you're working on at the moment? Well, I sub. I play for Dina Martin, who's Dean Martin's uh, daughter. I play her act. Although we haven't done it for a while since COVID, but I think she's coming back maybe uh, later this. Uh, she have a couple. I have a couple of cabaret gigs coming up in April. But yeah, not much. I mean, I'm not. So I'm not doing much. But. Um, you know, I'm doing a lot of Chicago, though. I do maybe once, twice a week. I guess stevesingerphotography.com. And that is the best way for someone to find out more about you? Or they can, yeah, contact me on Facebook. I'm you on Twitter? I am, but <laughs> I don't know. TikTok? Really do <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, that's for those kids, man. You know, I, I'm I'm still looking at TikTok. I'm like, yeah, I don't I don't get it. It's not really for me. <laughs> well, you've done so much, and uh, appreciate you sharing your your years of experience and your your insight on playing shows. I appreciate you taking time out. I know we've been working on this, trying to connect for a long time, and glad we did. And thank you for taking those pictures and and actually being there at the very beginning and supporting Ain't Too Proud when we were in the workshop phase. I remember seeing you way back then. Well, thanks for including me in this uh, stellar cast of drummers. I don't really hold a candle to most of these guys, but I appreciate it. That's why I have you on, because you have so much, so much to share. And thank you very, very much, Steve Singer. Thank you. All right, we will talk soon. All right, thank you, man. If you like what you hear on this show, subscribe to the Broadway Drumming 101 newsletter at broadwaydrumming101.com. At this time, we have no advertisers, and we'd like to keep it that way. Our staff is small, but growing. We can only produce a show with listener contributions from people like you. To continue producing the high-quality podcast you're listening to, publishing engaging newsletter content, and posting YouTube videos, we would appreciate any financial contributions you can make. There are a couple of ways you can do that. You can sign up to be a monthly or annual subscriber at broadwaydrumming101.com. You can also contribute any amount you wish through PayPal at paypal.me forward slash broadwaydrumming101 or through Venmo at Broadway Drumming 101. Or help keep us caffeinated by buying us a cup of coffee or a week's worth at buymeacoffee.com 
forward slash BD101. That's buymeacoffee.com forward slash BD101. We appreciate any support you can give. Don't forget to subscribe to the Broadway Drumming 101 YouTube page. You'll find more content that isn't featured on the podcast or on the Broadway Drumming 101 Instagram page. Make sure when you subscribe to the YouTube page, you click on the button to be notified when a new video is published. Be sure to visit our new shop at merchandise.broadwaydrumming101.com. Thanks again for listening to the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast.